In this episode, we chat with Kabir Shahani, the CEO of Amparity, a high-growth SaaS company that enables organizations to take control of their customer data, systematically improve customer relationships, and foster brand loyalty. Prior to co-founding Amparity, Kabir led the commercial software division for IMS, following the acquisition of Aperture, a company he co-founded in 2007. He's raised over $180 million from notable investment firms, including Tiger Global Management, Madrona Venture Group, and High Sage Ventures. We hope you enjoy the show. Kabir, thank you so much for taking the time. It's a delight to chat with you today. We'll get into your background as well as Amparity. But before we do that, I want to kick off with the fact that you're a second-time entrepreneur. And when you started this second company, Amparity, you had an investor in tow. So I think what's interesting is that you had someone willing to back you out of the gates. How were you able to develop such a strong relationship with that initial investor? Yeah, thanks, RJ. And great to be here with you today. We're so fortunate to have had a great run with Madrona Venture Group and continue to do just so many incredible things together. They were a part of my last company. And candidly, when we decided to go down the path of exploring creating Amparity, they were in the room day one. And so a lot of getting an investor on board early days for us was having that investor be a part of the formation of the company and helping us think about the different spaces we could attack, the different ways in which we would approach those categories, and ultimately land on what became Amparity. And so the partnership with Matt McElwain and the rest of the team at Madrona has you know, not only been very long-standing, but particularly with Amparity was a key part of actually getting the company off the ground. I heard you say something interesting in prior interview in that looking back on kind of your first entrepreneurial endeavor, you may have decided to raise money instead of bootstrapping for a longer period of time. Tell us about that comment. Yeah. So, you know, we bootstrapped our first company for about three years before raising venture capital. And in hindsight, the thinking we had at the time was a little misguided, right? We thought bootstrapping the company would have been a more efficient way to build the company. We thought we could use the high gross margin profile of that business to fund growth of the company. And the reality is there was a bunch of things that worked really well by doing that, in particular, just being super frugal and thinking about the core economics of the business from day one. But what I think we sacrificed was the ability to grow really quickly once we found product market fit. And of course, being able to get to those milestones that ultimately would lead to better valuations as a company out of the gate. You know, it's the famous, you know, it's easier to raise on a plan that's got really good thinking behind it than when you've got the reality of, oh, it's taken us two years and we have many a lot fewer customers in that case than maybe you would have if you'd raised capital. And so with Amparity, we were fortunate in, in a couple of different ways. One, raising capital from day one allowed us to really focus on the customer problem and not worry about, hey, we've got a financial target that we have to hit in the first year or even in the first two years. You know, We gave ourselves a space to, of course, while we set targets, initially they were all around product development and they were all around customer value. And so we held ourselves to a standard that was focused on unlocking the opportunity. And once we did, about two years into the company's life cycle, we then, of course, could put go-to-market targets around that and and were able to raise the capital from Tiger at the time to be able to go and continue to scale. So that approach just gave us so much 
space, both creatively and operationally, to be able to build our business, which has, I think, allowed us to have at this point a fair amount of, you know, not only a super compelling product, but a fair amount of durability and how we think about the operations of the business over the next 10 years. We have a lot of investors that listen in on this conversation, this podcast. And one thing I always like to ask entrepreneurs is what value have your investors brought to you aside from the capital? Capital is pretty obvious. You know, it gives you, you know, the wind at your back and enables you to kind of focus on just building the business. But what are the other elements that some of these investors have brought to you? I could go down the list of every single one and give you a number of very specific examples that every single investor has brought to our company, which I'm so grateful for. Everything from just advice to me as a CEO and as a leader of the company and as an entrepreneur, from, of course, customer introductions and actually picking up the phone and talking to customers, partner introductions, actually helping bring in partners that we need, whether it's a search firm, whether it's consulting support and helping get those resources in place. And of course, strategically, all of our investors have been very engaged on a annual basis at a minimum, in almost all cases more frequently than that, and really thinking about the strategy of our business and where do we want to go. And I find those perspectives so helpful because we have a wide range of investors that have a wide range of capital deployed both broadly and in the company and of course, many of them have pretty sizable public market portfolios. And so being able to hear from and spend time with those investors thinking about our business specifically and, hey, well, what do you think about this gross margin profile company versus this gross margin profile company? And you might get conflicting answers. Some customers or some investors are very comfortable sacrificing gross margin for growth. Others say, hey, there's a minimum threshold that we have to be at to be able to command the kind of value that we know we're creating over time with the business. And so being able to have a wide range of different investors that we can call on and that we can have really candid conversations with has been incredibly helpful in the journey so far. And you've attracted some of the best investors out there. What do you think it was about the business? First, maybe what we should do is go into what Amparity does. It's a great, you're solving a, a great problem that is somewhat pervasive in kind of the consumer industry. So let's talk about that problem that you solve and then we'll go into you know, how you're able to track the best. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. It's awfully kind of you and I am incredibly proud of the uh, investors that this team's been able to attract. I'd say it starts with, to your point, the complexity of the problem that we've solved, which is how do I get a single view of my customer, which is something that every consumer-facing organization on the planet is struggling to do. And the ubiquity of that obviously generates an incredibly large total addressable market. So number one, I think investors looked at this business and said, wow, the TAM is absolutely massive. Number two, we have developed incredibly unique intellectual property on that core set of assets. And so our ability to traverse literally trillions of entry points for any one deployment, find patterns in that data, develop a unified ID and a customer profile of every consumer in that brand is incredibly difficult to do so much so that we have developed and been awarded seven patents by the USPTO already. Three more that I expect will be awarded in the next handful of months. And so I think that the fact that there's a moat with our intellectual property is something that investors certainly saw as a great artifact of the business. Three is the customers that we've been able to deploy and have successful with our platform for years now. 
You think about some of the names and the logos you see on our website. I mean, these are some of the most iconic companies in the country and in the world. And the fact that they entrust us for this incredibly important workload and we're delivering real economic value is something that investors, you know, of course, have diligence in every round we've done and have just frankly been incredibly surprised and impressed by the level of excellence that our team has executed against those customer opportunities. And then last is the network effect you get when all of that happens, right? So I've got a big market with a unique product with incredible customers. And what I learn and the flywheel that's created every time you get a new customer, our models get better and our ability to execute gets better. And so your head start on a really valuable market only increases. But I think that makes for a company that has the opportunity to have massive long-term value. Mm-hmm. And so I got to imagine it was a combination. The fact that you were able to attract the investors that you have, it was a combination of the team as well as the problem you're solving and maybe the traction you've already made in the market. Is that a case? Was there one area that you think really made the opportunity to invest in Amparity more compelling than maybe the other areas? I think it's all those. For every investor, it's probably a little different, right? When you're early stage, Series A, Series B, you're investing in team. When you're getting to the later stages, you're investing in real business metrics and growth rate and you know level of execution against your market. And so I think it's been a little bit different over time. And certainly we're now at a position where it really is about the scale of the opportunity and our ability to have the systems in place that let us capture as much of that opportunity as we deserve to capture. And when I heard you describe how you've been scaling, it's almost like you have to rebuild the company as you go from one significant milestone to the next. And it's sort of the way I was like thinking about it is it's kind of like a step function. And so what step function is it now that you're in? Can you tell us about like where you were and where you're going? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It is step function. And I wouldn't describe it as a rebuild as much of a remodel. And it's a kind of re, and I think being really introspective at every stage in the growth cycle and saying, hey, is the way that we do this, whatever this is, it could be everything from how we do our annual planning to how we do our monthly operational reviews to how we do our all hands meetings, let alone how we build product or how we go to market or what our plays are with the sales team and, and all those things. I mean, we have every company at every one of these different stages has to be introspective and say, should we still be doing it the same way? And it's hard to ask that question, but it's very important that we do that because I think it highlights where it's worth investing in that remodel, so to speak, and where it isn't. And in our case, you know, we're in the middle of, I'd say, a bunch of stuff that has worked really well for our business in the past 12 months. We just got to keep doing and we got to do more of it. And so there's a little bit of just do more faster. And the second part, which is very new to our stage, is the ability to really invest in the long term. And so for the first time, we have now started actually building teams, making meaningful investments in things that we don't think are going to generate returns for us until 2023. But we're starting to do the work now. And I think that's a very new muscle for us. And it's been super exciting and frankly, a little daunting to think about how many things are on the backlog that aren't necessarily our core business, but are accelerants to our core business that we want to go experiment with. And even just figuring out how to prioritize, you can't go do everything on that list. And so what do you do first? But it's really fun and really exciting to be at a spot where we can finally be thinking about what does the three to five year horizon look like? And it's not just about the next quarter or even the next year. 
Well, one part of scaling, uh, obviously, is recruiting and, and finding the best talent. Have you been able to crack that part of the business building process? Meaning, do you feel like you've optimized the way in which you recruit? It's funny you talk about the different stages and, and you know, we're talking about this idea of where do you rebuild and where do you not. There's also market dynamics. And we all know, try to not roll your eyes, but you know, the great resignation and shifting talent. And obviously, a new world of some companies are virtual, others are more hybrid. And so people are making a lot of decisions about where they want to work and how they want to work and the kind of work they want to do. And I'd say for us, our core motion, at least around, I'm a big believer, and obviously, as a CEO, you invest a lot of your time in recruiting management teams. I mean, I think a lot of my job is hiring and firing management teams. And so I spend a lot of my time ensuring that we continue to recruit the best and help support and grow executives in the company and giving them the support and the tools and the resources to grow and scale their teams. And certainly, we've just undergone over the past three to four months a lot of work in scaling out recruiting, ensuring we're telling our story with a lot of specifics, and helping people really understand who we are. The next phase of that for us is employer branding and making sure that we're putting real scale behind how we think about hiring. Because the next chapter of our company is entirely focused on how to help get people in the company, get them productive, give them the support that they need to move the metrics that matter for the business. And how you build that system is a totally different set of work than we've had to go through you know, in the first five or so years of our life as a company. Mm-hmm. And uh, presumably, given what's been happening in the labor market and wanting employees to feel more kind of vested in what they're doing, what do you think is the most important thing for an employee to know as they begin working and frankly, continue working for Imparity? Yeah, for us, it is very much we want you to be you. And I think authenticity and building community where you can have support for the things that you care about is a really important part of who we are as a company. And I mean that both professionally in terms of the nature of the work you do, the span of control that you get in terms of doing the things that you know are going to matter to scaling and growing our business, and what matters to you personally. Of course, there's been a tremendous focus on DE&I for many companies over the past 12 to 18 months. And in our case, despite the fact that I consider myself an underserved minority, that was not something that was driven by me. That was something that there were many people in the company that on their own said, hey, creating more diversity and inclusion in our company is really important to me. And, and Parity is a platform, as a company is a platform, that gave them the space to go and make investments there and to go and drive the metrics that we want to set around how we want to increase the representation of people of color, how we want to increase the representation of women in the business. And it's really fantastic when you sit in my position to be able to say, wow, I've got so many wonderful people in the company that are using their own personal passion in this area to create better business outcomes for us. And so our focus is entirely on supporting and empowering those people to bring their whole self to the company and to their job. Fantastic. And I'm eyeing the clock here. We're coming up on time, but I do have a couple questions I like to end with. The first is, can you tell us about a leader that you particularly admire? It could be in business or it can be in another walk of life. Just someone who has the characteristics that you kind of would like to emulate. Yeah, I'm really fortunate that 
I get to spend a lot of my time working with two incredible CEOs. One is Kevin Johnson, the CEO of Starbucks. The other is Rajiv Singh, the CEO of Accolade, both on our board, both very actively involved in the company. And you know, I could give you the folks that I read about and the folks that over history I've been inspired by. You know, It's just for me, I was reflecting actually this weekend on how unique and special it is to have two operators on the board, cleats on, very involved, and particularly really leaned in on helping me do this job and learning, having far less experience than the two of them do in running and leading and scaling companies, being able to have that opportunity and to learn from them and the way in which they lead with a very steady hand and they lead with incredible business outcomes for their companies and their shareholders is just an incredible gift. Last question. Is there a book, and I typically just say book, but I'm going to extend it to movie. Is there a book or movie that you've read or watched that has had a particularly profound impact on you? Yeah. The one that comes to mind, I would say the most profound impact came before I started Imperity. I took a little time off before we got the company started. And I read a book called Zero to One that Peter Thiel wrote. And I thought it was just such an excellent frame of not only how to think about new ideas and new companies, but how to think about the ambition and the frame that you want to use to go create that opportunity. And it was really very inspirational for me in helping kind of decide which path I went down. And if the particular idea, in this case, building Amparity, actually met the standard that I had for what I knew was possible in the space and just how to think about being ambitious and aggressive and going after the opportunity. So must read for any entrepreneur, in my opinion. Excellent. Well, Kabir, I want to thank you again for taking the time. I know our audience will find this very insightful. Yeah, happy to do it, RJ. Great to meet you. 